Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. It's episode number 36 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm the one that's not Darren. And this is the show where two nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's long-running franchise, Stargate. I can't remember your name. I'm going to call you not Darren for the rest of the show now. Just call me Dude. Davis? Davis. Today, Davis and I are talking about the second season... David. Today, David and I are talking about the second season of Stargate SG-1. This is the third installment of our Stargate History series. This will be fun to fill up the months between the end of Atlantis and the start of Stargate Universe. Or we're just killing time, however you care to look at it. If it's fun to listen to for one guy out there, then there you go. It's been a really slow Stargate news week. We actually don't have any Stargate news this week, but we have a little bit of site features to talk about. We are excitedly getting ready for Vancouver this week, and we'll make up for the lack of Stargate news with a little bit of extended listener mail later on in the show. Gateworld features. Davis and Darren are getting ready to go to Vancouver this week. This podcast goes out on uh, Tuesday, if we can get it up on time. I will be in mid-flight, and you will be in the great... Pacific Northwest. I will probably have already scouted and selected a new apartment at that point by the time this thing launches and should be settled in Vancouver at my hotel. You're not moving to Vancouver, are you? I'm moving to Seattle. My father refuses to uh, have a socialist for a son. Seattle is a fantastic city and Washington (laughs) is a great state. I lived there for three years. Ah, there you go. So, GateWorld is going to Vancouver. This is our big, big annual trip. And the two main things that we do are the visit to the Bridge Studios for interviews and the big creation convention, which is at the Hilton Vancouver Metro Town this Thursday through Sunday, if you're local in the area. If you want to learn more about uh, the convention, I strongly encourage you to go to creationent.com. They have uh, all the latest info about the con. And who's at the uh, convention this year? You had to spring that on me right now. Uh-huh. Uh, Robert Picardo, Dan Shea, Amanda Tapping, Michael Shanks, Connor Trinier, David Nickel, Gary Jones. Did I miss any of the headliners? We, Terrell Rothery. We just found out last week that uh, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper are going to do a Stargate Rob. Universe panel on Sunday. That's right. Very interested to see just how much information they do divulge at that point. It's going to be an interesting show. I wish that I could be there for that. Unfortunately, I'm flying back home on Sunday so that I can go to class on Monday morning. But I look forward to hearing from the rest of you. We're expanding our convention coverage this year. We've got lots of people taking pictures, taking notes, making sure that if you can't make it to Vancouver this year that you don't miss out on a minute. Does it sound like I worked in marketing for eight years? You won't miss a minute. You won't miss a minute unless you disconnect your computer. So you and I are going to be there, and uh, Chad Colvin, our assistant editor, is going to be there with his wife taking yep. taking copious notes and doing interviews at the convention site. Yep. Uh, we also have uh, GateWorld Forum moderators, Shipper Ahoy and Kiwi Gator, are going to be at the convention this year. And yep. who else? Oh, we, um, we are just now, this weekend, we're lining up our crack photographers. I think we're going to have multiple photographers with what sounds like really great seats close up and really great cameras to take some nice shiny pictures for the convention gallery. Yeah, these are really going to be creme de la creme. And I think it's important now that we have the uh, GateWorld Gallery, the Stargate Image Gallery fully online to have some really high-res shots. So mm-hmm. the day after each convention day, log into the GateWorld Gallery and take a look at the latest offerings. Yep, that'll be our goal. If if uh, we can get photos from the photographers on a daily basis, then we'll publish daily galleries of the panel events and the goings-on at the convention hall. That's the plan. And then we'll do regular news coverage for anything exciting, breaking that actors say on stage or, or that comes up in an interview, especially when we talk to uh, Brad and Rob when we go to Bridge. Unfortunately, we have to uh, we have to say that we're not going to be permitted to speak with the Stargate Universe cast members just yet. That's going to come a little bit later in the year as we get closer to the October premiere and the the promotional cycle really ramps up. But they are going to let us visit the set to talk to Brad and Rob, the show's creators. 
You and I have been going to the set for the last four years, and then I went uh, five years ago when Atlantis was ramping up, was my first time on. So we go in, in between the convention and uh, the studio visit, and then we try to do a few other stray interviews around Vancouver on, mm -hmm. our, on our off hours. We have been coming back in April with something in the neighborhood of usually 15 to 20 interviews. And mm -hmm. because we do full transcripts and full audio and video of all those and publish them, um, that that's a heck of a lot of work. And so it takes us usually six months or more to get all those published on the site. It takes a great deal of time. And the, the, the trick is to... to um plan everything according to when there was two shows on you know we would do an sg1 interview and then an atlantis interview and then we uh -huh. try to time the interviews around certain episodes coming out or certain certain announcements being made this and that so this year we're not going to have any of that content and frankly i think we're going to be promoting sanctuary just as much as we're promoting stargate universe if not more they've welcomed us in with open arms and uh, a lot of the people that we knew from stargate are now at sanctuary and they're uh, not as closed door because Sanctuary is, is an ongoing series, and we're going to talk with them. Yep, that'll be fun. We're going to visit uh, Sanctuary and hopefully get to see them film a little bit uh, and talk to Amanda Tapping and Chris Heyerdahl. That's right. I'm excited That's about right. that. Yeah, I think this will hopefully be good for us because it will... One of the problems of getting that much content all in one weekend or one week is that as people has, have observed some of those later interviews, by the time we finally get around to publishing them in uh, July, August, even yeah. September, they, they're stale. And we have, yeah. to, we have to say, you know, this interview was conducted in early April, and it took us this long to get up because we had to do the 15 before it that you've been, been reading and listening to. Yeah, we covet and appreciate anyone out there willing to transcribe our interviews. It's not an easy thing to do, man. I mean, I type at 90 words per minute, sometimes 100 words per minute, and it still takes me forever because mm. they're really complicated. Our, we have, we have a, a large number of caveats when doing the, the Gate World uh, interview transcripts. We hold ourselves to a high standard. So we'll be hopefully getting some interviews with uh, lots of people that are big fan favorites that we've talked to before and hopefully with maybe one or two that we have never talked to. We uh, just recently launched uh, GateWorld on Twitter, so we're going to be Twittering the convention this year. Uh, David has washed his hands of all things Twitter, and uh, I think it's a load of crap. But I, yeah. <laughs> I, I will not uh, object if he wants to make fun of me for using Twitter. But uh, GateWorld is Twittering now. We've got news stories that go up on the site are automatically posted to Twitter, and then uh, we'll have. Me and I think uh, Shipper Ahoy and Chad will all have access to the GateWorld Twitter to Twitter through the convention. I can Twitter from my phone when we go to Sanctuary, when we talk to Amanda, when we're eating burgers at Red Robin and Sammy J. Peppers. Twitter is cool. It'll be really cool for bursts of information at the convention. Brad Wright says Jack O'Neill is in Universe Pilot. Yeah. Twitter is really good for that. Which we don't know that he is. You're just, you're just making that up, hypothetical. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't make know. make the people crazy. But, you know, oh, I just broke a nail, or I just got pulled over for speeding, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I always think back to Robert Picardo's line in the, the Star Trek Voyager episode, Message in a Bottle. You know, you really should keep a personal log. Why bore others needlessly? <laughs> My charge for our, our Twitter team this next week is going to be uh, Twitter good things. Don't just talk about... <laughs> The quality of your cheeseburger. Talk about Twitter who's on, awesome. Talk about who's on stage right now. And we should say something about next week's podcast, episode number thirty-seven. GateWorld is going on location. The microphone that I'm using right now, we're gonna plop on a table and we're gonna do a round table kind of discussion and and uh, we're gonna see really how it goes. It's gonna make for a lot more uh, spontaneity. We're gonna have to curtail the things that we say because I'm not going to be able to go in afterwards necessarily and chop out the bad bits depending on the kind of room that we're set up in. We will uh, try and do a roundtable with all the gate worlders who are there and grab some some fans, some forum members maybe, and ask you guys if you're having a good time at the convention. And let's see what else should we do? Maybe some interview preview snippets of the new stuff that we're getting on those days and uh, I think yeah it'll be perfect kind of grab a mixed bag of a little bit of everything and it'll be an interesting show 
we also wanted to mention for those of you who just caught Stargate The Arc of Truth on TV last week. It made its big U.S. television debut on the Sci-Fi Channel on Friday night. We've got lots of Arc of Truth goodies at GateWorld for you to go and look at. If you've just been introduced to the movie, you can read our review on the site. Uh, and that's a review of the DVD release in addition to the movie itself. Uh, we've got lots of photos, tons and tons of screen captures from the film, an entire folder full of discussion at GateWorld Forum all about the movie, uh, and you can also buy it on DVD and Blu-ray and support GateWorld. So that's for newbies to Arc of Truth, and don't forget that Stargate Continuum airs this Friday at, uh, I think, 9 p.m. on Sci-Fi. The Main Discussion Well, this week it's our third installment in the Stargate History series. We started out a few weeks ago talking about Stargate the movie in part number one, and then part number two was season one, so now I guess because of the movie the numbering is off. So this is part three of Stargate History, and it's season two. It'll get really interesting when we go to Atlantis. When we first decided to do a series of podcasts throughout the spring and summer on Stargate History... Uh, Nay, 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 you decided that. I'm just along for the ride. When I decided and forced (laughs) upon you to do a series of podcasts on Stargate history, because, you know, in 1997, podcasting wasn't very big. I was thinking about season two of SG-1 because this remains to this day one of my all-time favorite seasons of the Stargate franchise, and I'm really excited to talk about it. So let's jump in. Which episode are you thinking of? My favorite episode, if you've listened to this podcast at all, if you have been a reader of GateWorld and, and GateWorld Forum at all, you know the answer already, is Family. I love <laughs> Family. And Ryak spitting in Teal'c's face, I think that is the epitome of what Stargate is about. Return me to Chulakataka. Return me to Chulakataka. No, it's the fifth race. I think this is one of the all-time best episodes of Stargate SG-1, of the entire Stargate franchise. It's because, number one, it's a team episode. Mm-hmm. Us fans are always saying we want team episodes. We want the team to be together and involved. Everybody's involved in this episode. It's a crisis mm-hmm. for Jack. He's losing his marbles. He's mm-hmm. going to die. Sam and Teok are going off-world trying to, to find some way of helping him. Uh, Daniel is is translating him because Jack starts to eventually only be able to speak ancient, which is based on Latin. Daniel's helping, and there's scientists, and Hammond's there, and we're all running around trying to figure out how to save Jack. Jack goes to another galaxy, and he meets the Asgard face-to-face, and we used to be a part of this ancient alliance of four great races in the galaxy. The Asgard, the Nox, the Furlings, and the Ancients. And... Humanity is on its way, has already taken its first step towards becoming the fifth race. Just gives you chills, doesn't it? Well, if you haven't seen the episode, now you have no reason to. So that's my favorite episode. The ancients moved on from our region of space long ago. But your subconscious mind used their knowledge to find us here, where you could get help. Very impressive. Well, you know. We have studied your race closely. What did you learn? That your species has great potential. Great potential. That's good. The fifth race is so obvious. You know, I, I always thought of it as um, Torment of Tantalus Part 2. You know, mm. it, it's carrying on similar plot lines. You have another situation where the gate gets stuck off-world, except Jack this time can save them by rigging up a, uh, a series of repair blueprints. So there's, uh, that's that's definitely a good one. I love Serpent Song. I think Apophis' death mm. in this uh, in this season is just really cool. Shocking for a 15, 16-year-old kid, you know, who's just getting into the show. What? They killed off their main bad guy? The main bad guy before season two was even bad over. Guy. That's right. And, you know, everyone has their say. In, in having a moment with him, a great mm-hmm. moment with, with Daniel and Apophis. If you don't tell me where she is, I'll kill you right here. Another favorite of mine was a matter of time. Disengage the Stargate. Sir, by some fluke of Stargate technology, we are witnessing something that the laws of physics say we can't possibly witness. We are witnessing good men die in slow motion, Captain. A great 
time travel episode, but not really time travel, just kind of time warping yeah. with the black hole. The apex of Stargate Theory episode. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's the it's the best of the what if Stargate episodes. Well, we have this this wormhole here, which is uh, fictional in this in this show. What do we? What would happen if a some kind of a time dilation were to occur on the other side of the wormhole? Would the event horizon protect us? Would the iris protect us from the gravity well of the other side? It raises a lot of interesting questions. Mostly mm. all of it is sci-fi. But it's a good show. Well, it's, it's the perfect kind of idea for the Stargate premise that was created in, well, with the, with the series in 97 and with the film even earlier. Once you have this premise of the Stargate and what it does, it seems like you've got to start asking questions like, well, yeah. what would happen if we dialed to a Stargate on a planet that was next to a black hole? Mm-hmm. Those are the perfect kind of just quintessential science fiction ideas that makes that episode so great. And in order to prepare for this podcast earlier tonight, I watched two episodes from season two, and you just named both of them. I watched yeah. Serpent Song in a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah, they're good shows. They're definitely good shows. Is one of those your favorite, do you think? Fifth Race is my favorite for season two. Okay. Um, it is. But aside, if I was locked in a room and had to watch A Matter of Time or Serpent Song, I don't know which I'd watch. I'd probably watch Serpent Song. I'm much more a fan of character stuff than, than action and visual effects when it comes right down to it. Yeah, you know, the amount of, of criticism that we've leveled at the writers in recent months over uh, the lack of character moments, the lack of character development and character drama, uh, at least in the last couple of years of, of SG-1 and, and the last couple of years of Atlantis, uh, if not, one could make the argument maybe since season nine of, of SG-1 would have been season two of Atlantis, so maybe most of Atlantis. Uh, was more action-driven, more plot-driven in its storytelling. When you watch an episode like Serpent Song, it all comes flooding back how you can do character character drama. You take your characters and you stick them in a room. Oh yeah, the gloves came off with that episode. Give them a crisis, and the uh, attack by Sokar, and the having to cool down the iris, and, and those sort of action beats of, of Sokar's face appearing on the on the iris, those are cool, but the episode is about each of our characters having to have this reckoning with a dying Apophis. I'm one met. I knew the moment I laid eyes on her, she was a vessel for a queen. If you don't tell me where she is, I'll kill you right here. You have neither the strength nor the will. Mm. And having to ask those questions like, well, this is our mortal enemy, do we try and get information out of him? Do we let him die? Do we hand him over to an even worse enemy? It, it does have just a little bit of everything. And I'm thinking back to, uh, you know, in the alternate reality, and there before the grace of God, they enhance the speed at which the Stargate dials, and we're doing it just for the first time in, in, in our reality in Serpent Song. And the Stargate mm-hmm. is dialing, and you're, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat the entire time, it would dial saying, is Sokar going to dial in first before we hit the seventh Chevron? Is Sokar going to dial in first? And when you would do it, it's like, oh, man, now we have yeah. to wait 38 minutes. It shows our vulnerabilities. Our, we're vulnerable and we're, we're just the Stargate program is new and we're trying to figure out how all this works and we don't have a DHT. So, of course, we can't dial a gate as fast as Sokar. And it's, you know, gut wrenching the first time we try and dial out without the, the, the sped up dialing program uh you know they only get to like three chevrons locked in before Sokar dials in mm-hmm. it really I demonstrates how primitive we were the tower. you have taken what is mine for this you will be destroyed 1969 another great show a great mm-hmm. time travel story a great causality story uh, and that all that worked you know, we got to go not only into the past but into the distant future and see an older Cassandra. Yeah, right at the end. And so that was that, great. Yeah, nineteen sixty nine is so much fun because they were able to take a, a very serious premise. Our team is lost in the past and can't get home. And a very sci fi story element with, with time travel and, and 
wormhole bending by solar flares and all this and and then make it not only about the characters but just make it fun and hilarious i mean you can't look at teal in that get up especially mm-hmm. after only only having seen him in seasons one and two you can't look at him and not laugh out loud i know i know and the the characters are just becoming more and more endearing at this point you know it just makes you want to 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 go on to the next episode and see what the heck happens to him another one of my favorites was in the line of duty Great story. Carter eats a gould. It's like, whoa. We know what happened with Kowalski. It's an attack. It's violent. And she's taken over by a gould. And the last time this happened, we lost the guy. So Mm -hmm. the entire time you're sitting there watching the episode and thinking, that's it. It's over. Yeah, and Kowalski was a big deal in the movie and in the pilot. And again, it, it was the second episode of the season. And this is paralleling that. It's the second episode of the season. And it was an introduction to a great new ally that kind kind of came out of left field. And you're asking yourself, okay, is it is this more Gould subterfuge? You know, she she speaks in Carter's voice and then goes, what will it take? And we're all thinking to ourselves, ah, she's just another Gould. And she says later, unfortunately, I don't carry identification. But by the end of that episode, we're sold on the Toker as a, as a force, as an entity. And then we later end up finding them. Yeah, because Jolinar saves Sam's life and sacrifices itself or himself or herself so this was in the line of duty really is a great example of how season two expands the stargate mythology uh, by introducing the tokra this the, the concept that there are gould out there who are good who are rebels uh, who live symbiotically with their hosts and generally speaking unless they're trying to hide for their lives don't take them by force Mm-hmm. And then this pays off big time, big time in the mid-season two-parter, the Tok'ra, mm-hmm. uh, where we see them f- uh, face-to-face for the first time. We meet Martouf for the first time, played by the very fantastic J.R. Bourne. That's right. And uh, we see the Crystal Tunnels and all that for the first time. We're also introduced to one of my favorite characters throughout the series, Jacob Carter. Well, wait a minute. That was two episodes previously yeah, in, in Secrets. Secrets. I take that back. But that's that's where Jacob's arc really comes to fruition. You know, he's got lymphoma. You know, he supposedly has a while to live, and then all of a sudden it it attacks him and takes him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we all kind of saw that one coming, that the Tok'ra host would be, the symbiote would be the perfect host for Jacob, and uh, he would kind of be our um, ambassador. I think so. By the time you get to the Tok'ra part two and see that that B story is going to tie in, is, is drawing close. But actually, I think that the producers, correct me if I'm wrong, have said that when they originally wrote... Jacob and his cancer revelation at the end of Secrets, they were planning on killing him off. They I didn't were know that. planning on having Jacob die of cancer. I'll be darned. I did not know that. And I don't know how long that lasts because obviously the Tokra, the two-parter comes along only two episodes later, so mm-hmm. that thought maybe didn't last very long, but uh, I think that was the original intention in creating the character. But Carmen Argenziano and, and J.R. Bourne to a certain extent, although he was he only lasted a couple more seasons, which is kind of hard to believe considering, you know, the scheme of this show. It was only a couple of years that he was with the show, not mm-hmm. even two full seasons. Carmen and, and J.R. just added such a presence to uh, what I attribute to uh, the best years of Stargate, in my opinion. Secrets. We I just touched on secrets earlier. You know, I always managed You're to miss... You're just blowing through these, aren't you? I am. I always managed to miss the best episodes when they first aired, with the exception oh. of like a matter of time. <laughs> Secrets, I didn't see until years later. I started watching the show right at the very end of season one and beginning of season two. I think I saw Secrets before I had ever seen Children of the Gods. Wow. So okay. the the recasting of Share and the fact that she had been taken as as a Gould host and was Apophis's queen, I had to figure all that out watching Secrets. What is going on here? It's just a good show. It has a lot of, you know, more of the... What is going on with the Gould? Is it really her? Is it not? And Apophis has impregnated Daniel's wife. Great stuff with Heroer in the gate room. You know, it's just a really good show. And then the, the B plot on Earth of, of Sam and Jack getting their, um, their, their awards and um, the reporter uncovering the Stargate program and, and putting mm-hmm. a threat to all, op- opening just a huge threat to all of it was Armin very compelling. Selig. Armin Selig. Yeah. You're the team leader of a unit called SG-1. Between 9 and 12 such units operate out of Cheyenne Mountain under NORAD. You use a device called a Stargate to travel light years from here. 
Wow. That's pretty amazing. I really like Secrets. That's that's definitely one of my tops for season two. Even though I wasn't crazy about uh, the actress who played Share, I, I think that the emotional stuff between Share and Daniel, uh, and he's balancing this fact that he feels betrayed, and he feels that he's lost her, and yet now she's come back to him, but he doesn't know if he's got any way of of mm-hmm. actually rescuing her. And then at the end, he's forced to let her go again. It's just, I think it's a fantastic episode for Daniel because of that. Mm-hmm. And we get to see Kasuf again. That's right. We get to see Kasuf again, one of my favorites. Tell me which episode in season two is your least favorite. My Before least favorite? So glowing about season two and how it's classic Stargate. Which one do you just think was kind of a stinker? But Prisoners and Need come pretty dang close to the bottom of the barrel. I felt that Need was very well done and very well acted. But for me, it just wasn't resonating with me. It's mm. kind of like, well, you know, the team is in the mine and, and you know, chopping away at Naquita and, and Daniel's on drugs. Saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you're mad at Daniel the whole episode you know, for, for yeah. being that way. Exactly, exactly. You know, it ends really well. You know, they, they blow up the sarcophagus, but it was okay. Out of mind for me, um, thought it was a great premise, but too much clip show. Well, yeah, it was It was a clip show, and it was the only season finale that Stargate ever did that was a clip show. It was fine. You know, it ended great. Big reveal that it's it's Hathor all along who's faked this. As she was not frozen into the future, she's just right. faked it and created a, a fake SGC. Yeah, the but... premise and the setup, the the whatever the the term is, the envelope for the for the clips in Out of mm-hmm. Mind, it was really terrific. Um, I loved that. It felt like an episode of The Outer Limits, with them yes. waking up at the beginning and seeing uh, Tom Butler. Tom Butler. Tom Butler plays uh, General Trofsky. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That just, I mean, he, he did a lot of Outer Limits, and the the set, the kind of futuristic SGC, and the, the cryogenic freezing, it really, and that, that opening tease of just what the F is going yeah. on felt like an episode of The Outer Limits, um, and I thought it was a, a really great episode, with the exception of the fact that it was a clip show, so as far as clip shows go, it's one of my very favorite. I think it would have ended a lot better if we still thought that we were in the future by the end of the episode and only found out in the season opener that we weren't, Mm. or if the big reveal at the end of the episode was that we were still in 1999. Yeah, I think that would have been a stronger reveal. Or if we, the audience, had found that out and our characters still didn't know going into the third season. But we don't do that a lot in in Stargate. We usually know everything that the characters know. I think it makes an interesting juxtaposition when the audience knows something that the characters don't know. Um, We just don't do that very much. And I'm sure I'm going to get a list from someone of of episodes where... Oh, I'd love to see that list. (laughs) Where the audience knows more than the characters. That would be very entertaining. My least favorite is actually really easy to see if you know that I assigned the four-star rankings on the episode guide on GateWorld. Spirits? Really? You theologist, you. There are two episodes that are tied at one and a half stars, and it's Bane and Spirits. Tossing those two up in the air, coming down. I've got to say my least favorite of season two is Bane. The big bug, it's kind of unrealistic, and, and transformation of Teal'c and Teal'c running free on Earth, and we have to... We have to get him. Mutating. We have to find him before he mutates into a whole mess of these alien bugs. The NID is chasing him and and wants custody of him. It's it's fine. It's it's fine. It's just not all that compelling to me. I like seeing Mayborn back. I like seeing him be at least as evil, probably more evil than he was last time. I think I have a bad relationship with Bane because the first time that I watched it, I was eating something that was relatively <laughs> gross and I was trying to finish something that I didn't care for and not knowing how the episode goes or anything like that, watching Teal get filmier and filmier and ickier and ickier mm-hmm. and then placenta-like. Trying to choke down the episode while you're choking I down your lunch. choking down my lunch. It was a bad experience. Yeah, but and ironically his... enough, I didn't mention it in the lowest episode category. The little girl that he encounters with the squirt gun. Yes. Uh, uh, it doesn't do it for me. It, it A lot of the episode just feels a, a kind of obvious and a bit cliched. She came back later to play Cassandra in Ride of Passage. She does, yeah. Great job. Yeah, as Cassandra later on in season five, I think she's fantastic. I think we should talk about her when we get to the season five podcast, because I think I actually like her better as Cassandra than the original actress. I thoroughly enjoyed Spirits. 
I might have to adjust my rating for Spirits because it, that is one that I came to enjoy much more upon subsequent viewings. It's a good episode about trust. I thought Tanane was great. And the reason we we store things is so that we always have them on hand, like, like this. Can I go home now? Okay, Tanane, I, I won't lie to you. There is a problem. Uh, we have to find Jack. Okay. He's not in here. I like his character, and I like uh, I like the spirits. Once they're finally revealed as aliens, and we see the sort of superpowers that they have, uh, Takaya and Zales, a couple of great uh, actors that we love. Yeah, and I always love it as a sci-fi fan when when we get to see alien aliens. Maybe it's the fact that Jack isn't there for most of the episode, or at least the first half when we go off-world. Yes, his partner was giving birth to Wiley. Yeah, that's when his daughter was being born. They timed that episode really well. How do you time that? And that's also the episode where we're introduced to Trinium, the yes. alien mineral that will become very, very significant to Earth technology, even as early as uh, a matter of time, three episodes later. The new iris that, that we yes. get on the Stargate is Trinium reinforced. There is There was a little bit of irritation for me with that episode because... Now, we would go along on the planet, and we would tap something, trinium. Then we would go to something else. This is made of trinium. It's all trinium. I like trinium. I wish okay. I had some right now. The Tok'ra expand mythology a lot, but, but this is also the first time we get to see Asgard. I mean, real Asgard, not holographic Vikings. That's right. In uh, Thor's chariot. Very um, animatronic. Definitely the first rendition of the Asgard puppet. Very domo oregato. But it does the job. It's Thor. Thor. You gotta love. You gotta love Thor. You do. You gotta love Thor. And Michael Shanks definitely changed the the tone of the character's voice. Come um, season three's fair game. Mm-hmm. But before I am Thor and this and that and mm-hmm. we're talking very high and everyone knows it's windy. <laughs> I love that we're going back and, and revisiting a season one episode and a civilization that we've been to before, Samaria. Yes, uh, we we found out that one of those characters is dead. Kendra. Kendra. We loved. I loved Kendra when she I found was, out that she yeah. was dead. That was sad. Yeah. And uh, was that because th- they couldn't get the actress, or was that just a part I of the story? I don't know. That's a great question. I sure would have loved to see her again. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when we go and visit Kendra's grave, this is when Sam, who has recently been possessed by Jolinar, discovers that she now has the ability to use ghoul technology. Quaid one says, "They say you never forget your first. My favorite season two episode was Message in a Bottle. It was the first SG-1 episode I saw and will always be one of my favorites. After a couple more episodes, I was hooked for life. It was a great sci-fi story. Yeah, I could really see that this is a good way to latch onto the show and the characters and the setting of the SGC and what they're about going off world and getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I guess it's just relatively speaking compared to other episodes in this season. Um, I, I didn't find Message in a Bottle to really be all that interesting. Another major element of the show's mythology that, that would come to play out over the course of the next several years is the rogue NID. We've seen Mayborn a bit in season one, but I mean, he's just kind of a, a grouchy colonel. There's, there's not really this connection to the rogue NID, uh, which we see first in Touchstone. Right. They're starting to add to the mythology uh, and they bring back the Beta Gate, the Antarctic yeah, Stargate, the Antarctic which is a great Stargate. touch. You start learning from off-world people first, from our from allies. There, there are people out there that are dressed like you that are not you, and mm-hmm. they stole our weather device. I like this one a lot. I'm not crazy about the guest acting, to be honest. When I think about Touchstone, one of the one of the negative check marks that goes off in my head is the acting for the guest stars and not even the acting some of the writing actually when they come back at the end of the episode did with you the bring touchstone. the touchstone do they have the touchstone they do they do father well he's blind so that's not very fair and it's windy and it's windy so and how stormy, do you expect and, him yeah. to say it uh, but it's a really cool episode and I love the way that we use the stargate in order to track down uh, the beta gate and where it is and how it's being used and then we travel there and there's mm-hmm. kind of X-Files stuff going on and Hammond has the secret contact. Mac Jackson writes, The second half of the season is much stronger and exciting than the first. The writers turned a corner and became more adventurous in their stories. 
They even remembered to give us an episode focused on the Stargate itself with a matter of time and a fun body swap dose with Holiday. This was the season where the show really started to spread its wings. I love Holiday. Mm-hmm. I thought um, Michael Shanks did a great job with that episode. Yeah, Michael Shanks plays Michello, and he didn't have to. They didn't have to cast Michael Shanks as Michello, but he no. did a great job with it. It works, and I didn't realize that it was Michael until I read the end credits a couple of viewings later that uh, he played yep. the old version of Michello too. You feel for this character, you feel for Michello and what he's gone through, and and you and you're sympathetic. I, I was sympathetic to him once I really oh, knew yeah. his story and understood what he was trying to do. I he's that... also nefarious by by wanting to stay in Daniel's body, but when he reaches the correct conclusion that no, I cannot be that which I've always hated, uh, mm-hmm. I think that is a great moment. Yeah. The way that uh, that Daniel convinces him, Daniel convinces him, you're you're a ghoul. You're no better than those those creatures that you fought, that that destroyed your family and your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so emotional. And then the ending of the episode, if I can spoil an episode that's ten years old, when Michello dies and says thank, you, before he dies, he he talks. He says thank you for my holiday. That's how the episode. No, ends. he says it after he's dead. <laughs> after he's dead, he says thank you for my holiday. That's one of the most emotional moments for me in the first two years of the show. Um, and I love the character of Michello, and I love this episode because of, of those emotional beats. A grand day out. He doesn't do anything. I mean, he goes to lunch. You know, he doesn't hire a couple of hookers and get himself doped up on oh, crack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's great humor, great humor in this episode. Are you celebrating something? Indeed we are. Life. Okay. But I'm going to need a credit card. A credit card. Where would I find such a card? Usually in your wallet. Will one of these cards do? Absolutely. You are one of the most enchanting women I have seen in my lifetime. I would be honored by a kiss. Yeah, I bet you would. I agree with Mac Jackson, though. The second half of the season really, I think, is really strong. This is episode where you've got Touchstone, Fifth Race, Matter of Time, Holiday, Serpent Song. Uh, 1969 is in here. Uh, the second half of the episode, I think, like season one, really kicks it up. One false step answered a question that I certainly had been having at this point. You know, is all the diseases that uh, can be spread. You know, and they kind of answer it, you know, well, most of the diseases that are on Earth are already out there because of other humans. Um, that was okay, an okay answer for me. But the, the disease coupled with humor in that episode people i mean these 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 creatures are dropping like flies when we Mm. yell at one another you know there's some great comedy between jack and daniel teal has some great beats and love these these creatures have lovely singing voices hi well i guess that was the wrong thing to say the naked aliens are a little weird a little hard to get used to uh, they don't talk they utter high-pitched song-like noises and mm-hmm. once you get past that it's i think it's a very charming episode i didn't think i don't think we'd seen a lot of aliens at that point so to come across an episode where we had a bunch of humanoid aliens uh that was different, and it was refreshing at that point. And then, of course, the next episode, we get the Ritu. Oh, the most alien of aliens that we have seen in the Stargate universe, I think. Pretty are the much. Ritu. They're utterly alien. They live, their natural state is out of phase with ours, so they're, they're invisible. Uh, and once you see them, you can see them for just for a moment when they shoot from their little arm yes. cannon, this big plasma blast. Yeah. Uh, you can see them, and they look like gigantic insects, I think. They look really cool, and because they're invisible for most of the episode, I really don't understand why we never brought the Ritu back. I guess the shots that they were in, they were just too visual effects intensive. I was always expecting that they'd do something like... I was always expecting that they'd return, or like with Star Trek Voyager, the episode Flesh and Blood, I believe, Flesh and Bone. Uh, they brought Species, Species 8472 8, 4, back by playing, by playing them as humans. Uh, yep. I was hoping that they'd do something like that. Yeah, because we already know that the Ritu have been experimenting in, in right. growing humans with little little Charlie. Your mother is growing impatient with your narrow-mindedness. Stand down. 
I assume that came from... Mother. The beginning of this episode where this little child walks through the gate and gives them this dire warning that Earth is going to be attacked by the rebel Ritu, uh, and Mother, the Ritu, is here right, right. now. The whole <laughs> first part of the episode plays out as this seems to be this little boy's imaginary friend. And then... That's right. And didn't this actor do a good job? Jeff Golka is his name, and when he came and did show and tell for Stargate, I thought it just knocked it out of the park. That episode required a lot out of a child actor, and and casting that one had to have been tough. They didn't cheat. They didn't get a kid that was just crap. They they really did good. The gamekeeper was another. One. I I love uh, the episode yes. this season. I really Dwight Schultz did an amazing job with that episode. Mm-hmm. There would be no pleasure from the game if there was no risk in the journey. I loved that. Just what they put the characters through in this episode. We see into Daniel's past. We kind of get the pieces of the puzzle put together. He's obviously a little bit older than he is in his in his photograph that uh, Catherine is holding in, in the Stargate film. That was a great show to have fairly early on. And, of course, Michael Shanks could then incorporate that into his, into his persona of the character, knowing that that was in the past. Jack O'Neill's op with Kowalski. That's another continuity error. You hear him in the pilot say, I didn't even know you had a son. And yet in the 80s, he was working Black Ops missions with him. Mm. So, of course, he would have known that. But it was a great return of Jay Akavone, as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy's just the guy's just liquid awesome. Just a great show. But Prisoners, you know, the introduction of Linnea. Linnea was an interesting character, I thought. All debts have now been paid. You know, someone that you think that you like, but she's really got a very nefarious and evil side, which later came back uh, in uh, an okay episode uh, in season three. Yeah. And, past um, and present. Past and present, that's it. I so. really like the setup for prisoners of SG-1 getting thrown on a prison planet. Uh, yes. And the idea that there is a, that a civilization is using the Stargate for its penal system. The fact that there is a prison planet and that there is obviously no DHD there, so now we have to come up with a clever alternate way of mm-hmm. using the Stargate to get away. And of Activators. Course, our guys, of course, know how to do this sort of thing, and they just need a power source. So Just need power. But I thought it was really interesting, you know, that they, they don't even bother asking Linnea, why are you doing the time? Because they think that the Talder are just so messed up in their, in their justice system that certainly she mm-hmm. she's been put in here for wrong reasons and we find out that she's a mass murderer it was a really great twist chilling chilling mm-hmm. episode chilling chilling ending it's the precursor to us letting nearty go and nearty causing havoc on another planet at the end of the episode what really chills me is when daniel repeats the line or the name that the other prisoner had called linnea destroyer of worlds we let her go this is has resonance for daniel obviously as a student of of mythology, destroy. I am become death, destroyer of worlds, is a famous line I think from the Bhagavad Gita, if Wikipedia is correct. The fact that we let her go and she's out there now, and all debts have now been paid. Mm-hmm. Very chilling. We are not perfect. We sacrificed the uh, Vian civilization ultimately to get ourselves free, mm-hmm. uh, and they have to suffer. Even after we fix them, they still have to suffer. I think the first one was Thor's hammer. You know, we destroy the hammer device, and then the Sumerian civilization suffers. We kind of have this this tradition of making other planets suffer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the only other episode I see on here that we haven't talked about much at all is Family. I think we just mentioned Family. I don't know. This is obviously it's very important for Teal'c's character. Uh, even early on in the show, Teal'c is not getting tons of attention. He's he's the strong, silent type, who when he's on Earth at Stargate Command or, or Offworld on a mission, he's he's not getting a lot of play, not getting a lot of character development yeah, other than listening. being... He's the muscle and he's the straight man. But family, we, we go back to Chulak, we see his wife again, we see Ryak again, and we'll his wife silent. has... I mean, he's basically left his, his wife and family in disarray. Um, he's been declared a Sholva, a traitor by Apophis, and so his family has been discredited, uh, they lost their house that Apophis had given to them as a gift. Mm-hmm. And yep. she's now had to remarry in order to be able to provide for herself and her son. Mm-hmm. Neil Dennis had a great performance in that episode, um, Brainwashed. And uh, the new Dreyok in this episode. Mm-hmm. Different actress. Different actress. I enjoyed Family. I thought it was kind of a cheat that, you know, we need electroshock therapy. Well, how are we going to do this? Oh, the Zat gun. 
Mm-hmm. Is that going to do it? Mm-hmm. Thematically, I think it really worked because it was Teal'c who had to fire a Zat gun at his son and cause harm to his own son. Because this is oh, the whole the whole theme for Teal'c in the episode is that he has done harm to his beloved wife and son. Now he has to do more harm to bring him back. Yeah, it's the only way to rescue him is to shoot him. I was expecting at the very end of the episode uh, when they go through the gate for Ryak to turn around and smile at Jack and Sam and, and Daniel and be like, yeah, I'm still here and walk through. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He's just playing them. This episode is great for giving us lines that you can yell at your friends when you're mad at them. And That's they right. will have no idea what you're talking about, but know that you are a serious science fiction nerd. That's if you right. yell, return me to Apophis, Ataka. Uh, lordy. Olkesh 47, the fifth race, the fifth race, can you guess it? fifth race i love every second of the episode from the ancient repository to the visit to othala the episode balances humor mythology character interaction and a tight package that i consider to be the absolute best of the series and spino breaker says favorite episode from season two i'd personally say a matter of time why it's the first time we see the stargate's true weakness up until now it has been stuck with the 38 minute window but with time dilation it blows it out to weeks can't turn the sucker off to me, season two is one of the strongest of the pre-Sci-Fi Channel seasons. And I think it's one of the strongest seasons of, of 10 years of Stargate SG-1. I love the show. It's one of my all-time favorite science fiction shows. Uh, all-time favorite shows of any genre. Uh, and so it's hard to say, well, this season was a 6 out of 10. And I really liked it. It's just, you know, relative. For 10 mm-hmm. years of the show, you want to save room for giving the, the, the fantastic seasons nines and tens mm-hmm. so a six doesn't mean i didn't like it um season one i'd say 6.5 and season mm-hmm. two i think season two i went into this really enthusiastic and this the season does have a lot of episodes that remain my favorite and remain very watchable fifth race a matter of time 1969 um secrets but there are also a lot of there are a, a couple you have stumbles. to trudge through yeah, there there are some, I think, kind of a higher percentage than in some of the seasons that we're going to be talking about in, in upcoming weeks. So even though season two is has some of my all-time favorite episodes, including The Fifth Race, I'm going to say 8 out of 10. I would have to say 8 out of 10 as well. Uh, 8 out of 10 episodes, in my opinion, were, were excellent episodes. So 16 out of 20, definitely. So I would mm-hmm. have to bring that down to 8 out of 10. Listener mail. Sarah writes in and says, I was in my car listening to the Are Replicators Alive podcast, and I had my daughter, who is 13, and my six-year-old niece in the car. When you said the comment about your dog not having a soul, this was you being David, uh, Mm -hmm. and there being no afterlife for your dog, that upset my niece, who lost her dog a few weeks ago and is under the impression that all dogs go to heaven. I had to turn your podcast off after that. I know you're just stating your opinion, and that's perfectly okay. I did explain to her that the mean man on the podcast, her words, not mine, was not saying that to be mean. I may have... (laughs) I can't get through this without laughing about the mean man on the podcast. I may have to start listening to each podcast before I allow my daughter and niece to listen. I hate having to do that with your podcast because you two are wonderful, and your site is wonderful, and my daughter hopes to sign up soon when she turns 14. David, the mean man on the podcast, made my baby cry. What can I say? I believe I said, I I would have only said it if I said that I believed that he did or did not. Yeah, you know, I mean, I can't take responsibility for everyone listening to the podcast. David makes little kids cry. That's just how good the podcast is. Aside from my new fuel for teasing David for the next year, which I thank you for, we do take it seriously and you know actually when you said that i thought man i hope there aren't any little kids listening to this because you know even when you get to be 18 or or 20 or 25 or 30 some people have a real problem with the idea that their pets don't have souls shirt and tie says i popped over to mr malazzi's blog a couple of days back and asked with atlantis now sitting off san francisco bay which gate has dominus mr m kindly responded and said the pegasus gate is dominant Mm. What do you guys think? I think that makes total sense that the Pegasus Gate would be dominant. 
because it's Great. newer. It's like uh, digital versus analog. I think it's the yeah, one that, but it's that the I only one before. connected to a DHD. That's right. So we learned in uh, in season four of SG One in Watergate that when you have two Stargates on the same planet and one is connected to a DHD and the other's not, then That's the right. one that has a DHD becomes dominant. And by dominant, we mean if you dial into Earth, your wormhole goes to that Stargate instead of to the other. That's right. It's a it's a writer's technicality to solve stories, but it kind of makes sense. But I've got to say, even if it didn't have a DHD, wouldn't you think that because it's a newer gate, it's a digital gate, that it would it would have dominance over the old Milky Way gate, or maybe not because it's not a part of the Milky Way network. It's not a part of the Milky Way network. The the Milky Way network probably has, you know, its own series of control files that would PC make it versus Mac. Right. That would make it recognize that. That uh, other Milky Way gate, are the the, uh, the original Egyptian idea. gate. Quaid one says, "I can't wait to hear the crazy fan podcast." This is uh, one that we're going to do in a couple weeks about uh, non-sci-fi fans' perceptions of what sci-fi fans are like. I was like, "Crazy fan podcast? What the heck is he talking about?" And now you say it, it's like, "Oh, the perception of Stargate fans." Perception oh, of fans as crazy. It's not yeah. intended, Quaid. Not the intended crazy... to be that at all. Maybe we should but, rename the episode the Crazy Fan Podcast. Oh, no. That, 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 I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> Quaid1 says, I can't wait to hear the Crazy Fan Podcast. Although I love Stargate, it is really my only geeky pleasure. I was afraid that if I went to the Stargate convention, I would be surrounded by costume-wearing, World of Warcraft-playing, ancient-speaking fans. Every time I thought of the con, I pictured a Trekkie convention. Hopefully the Gateworld dinner will help shed a little light on it for me. What can Quaid One expect from the convention this week? 90% female Stargate fan base. Top of the echelon Stargate fans are 90% female, 40s, 50s. That's just the way it is. I can't, I can't explain it any more than that, and that is not a criticism. That's just the way it is. You go to this event, and you will see 90% women. And then the other half of that is, is guys our age, which I find to be a really interesting demographic. I think it really is an anomaly. Having gone to Stargate conventions and Star Trek conventions, it seems to me as though Stargate fans... Not that, not that obviously, there's not overlap. We're both big Star Trek fans. But uh, Stargate fans strike me as on the whole, much, much more normal. Charlene says, I'm writing about the constructive criticism from Red Hooks about you not asking the hard-hitting questions to those involved in the Stargate fan sites. I would respectfully remind Red that most of the people that run fan sites do so on their own dime or with minor subsidizing from advertising. I believe that if Red really stands behind his criticism of your volunteering to do these interviews, podcasts, websites, etc., then he should put his money where his mouth is, either by offering to subsidize your work or by flying out to ask the hard questions himself. I'd like to thank you both for your efforts. Even when I don't agree with you, you have always seemed to be respectful to both fans and those involved in the production, and I really appreciate that. We appreciate that email, Charlene. It's encouraging, and, you know, just to defend Red Hooks a little bit, uh, I don't think he was saying specifically that we are afraid to ask hard-hitting questions. That wasn't the point of his comment. But uh, a lot of people have definitely leveled that criticism. And last but not least, you know, Morph1211, uh, a.k.a. Justin, says, Hey guys, in the last podcast, you answered my voicemail comment about the finale of Battlestar, saying that neither of you had seen it yet. So if you have time, could you please do a follow-up and tell us what you thought of it now that you have seen it? Uh, to avoid Battlestar spoilers for people who have not seen the finale yet, uh, I think I want to answer this one, talk about it for a few minutes, but let's do it after the podcast. So yeah. after we wrap up, after the music, uh, stay tuned and we'll talk about Battlestar for a few minutes. This week's listener question, there is not one. We're going to be in Vancouver this week. Uh, we'll have lots of fun on the podcast, do a little experimental podcast. Uh, we'll come back with a listener question next week. So we are almost live from Vancouver in next week's show on or around April the 7th. And then for our April 14th show, it's Perceptions of Sci-Fi Fans. And we're going to bring back the much-requested GateWorld Forum moderator, Tammy Farrar, for that conversation. That's right. And April 21st is to be determined right now. We're trying to get a special guest for that, and if it pans out, we know what we're going to do, and if it doesn't pan out, then we're going to bump something else up in the rotation and do it instead. So stay I tuned. think she's going to do it. I think she'll do it. Cool. That'd be exciting. That's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. In this episode, Davis and I talked about 
the second season of Stargate SG-1. What else are we talking about? Vancouver. Vancouver's coming up. It's this week. So stay tuned for lots of uh, Vancouver coverage in the coming days at GateWorld.net. And if you want to find links to anything and everything that we talked about in today's discussion of Season 2, just visit GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 36 show notes. We always appreciate your feedback, so send us your pithy comments at the hotline at 616-712-1647. You can post them on the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld Forum or post a review on iTunes or other podcast catchers. You and I live far, far away and only get to see each other once or twice a year. And my friend, I will see you in a few days. See you soon. From Gate World, this is Darren. And this is not Darren. And we'll see you back here next week for the Gate World Podcast. Battlestar. Now, we've kind of already had this conversation just between the two of us, but... Uh, I want to get it get it out there. You and I are both Battlestar fans. Let's put it out there. We both think that it's uh, one of the best science fiction shows of, I think, the last decade. But yeah. we have kind of different opinions about how it ended up. I have never anticipated a series finale like I have this one in recent memory. I, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, this is one that's been going on for a very long time. Um, on the whole, I would have to say that the episode was fantastic. Uh, even three hours long, though, it did feel kind of rushed. Well, now let's, and... let's specify here. You and I both decided to save Daybreak Part 1 and watch all three hours all together, three together in a stretch. Yeah. Started with shot. a miniseries, finished with a miniseries. The only thing that I really could have to say that I didn't care for about it was that the questions that I really wanted answered got kind of fudged. You know, uh, the truth of the Opera House, I really wanted to the truth of that, and I felt that it was kind of crammed in. You know, they, they, the truth of the Opera House, well, what is it really? Is it protect Hera? Is that basically what it is? I mean, it's hard to kind of say. And the other thing is... Mm, just um, running through the ship. Just yeah, a preview that's version the of running through the ship. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they kept on making this big deal about the truth of the Opera House, so I think that was kind of anticlimactic. But the other thing that absolutely frustrates me is we did not know what Virtual Six and Virtual Baltar really were, aside from Angels from God. They did not specify specifically what they were. And as a sci-fi show, I expected an answer. Well, that was the one thing that I said I was looking forward to was uh, Ship of Light's aliens or something close to them. It didn't have to be Ship of Light's Aliens. Just give us an explanation other than Angels. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 the new series take, I think, on, on that age-old that uh, night, concept from the 1978 series when Starbuck comes back uh, with a perfect, clean, new Yeah, Viper. what was that? Where did um, that come? They're waiting for me. What does that mean? Yeah, there are hints and there are ties throughout Season 4 uh, connecting that, especially in the finale. Uh, connecting what happened to Kara uh, and her eventual disappearance slash ascension to uh, connecting that to the head characters, head Baltar, head Six, head Leoben. Um, so there's kind of this hint, and, and it's explicitly said uh, towards the climax that there's a third power out there. Yeah. Cylons, humans, and everybody recognizes that there is a third power. Uh, that's at work, that's influencing them. I appreciated that, and I feel like, yeah, I kind of did get get my Ship of Light's aliens a little bit, but not nearly enough. I, I don't no, think it was I wanted it enough. to be quantified. I wanted to know specifically what it was. They've dragged us along since the miniseries about what that is. We should at least be able to find out what it was specifically. Maybe mm -hmm. we'll find out some more in the plan. I doubt it. Maybe we'll find out some more in um, Caprica. I doubt it. Thinking about how they could have done it again if it had come up more explicitly earlier in season four, I think it would have worked. If you save it for the last moment of the finale, this big reveal of, of these these godlike beings, it's a little bit deus ex machina. Uh, but it's been fabricated in the entire course of the show, so yeah. it wouldn't exactly be coming out of left field. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about things like... Um, what do you think I'm going to say here? TNG. Uh, TNG episodes no, like The Chase. The End of the Chase... Yes. When we see uh, the cedars, I can't remember the the Star Trek mythology name for this species. I could have uh, swore it was the changelings, but anyway, it's the same no. woman who played it, and that really yeah, same actress. The cedars who who evolved and got space travel millions of years ago and found no other races, so they seeded 
life on all these different planets. Mm -hmm. That's sort of, you know, the, the mythical ancient being with the long flowing white robe. That's kind of what I expected. Who comes up at the end and gives us the exposition that explains how the pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all implied. I mean, it's kind of all there. But mm -hmm. obviously everybody else got to see the episode before I did, not having Sci-Fi Channel. So um, I, I read a comment about nice cameo at the end. And obviously they're talking about Ron Moore's little cameo mm -hmm. in the final scene. And I was hoping, against all hope, that that nice little cameo would have been Dirk Benedict playing. Oh, he hates the show. Basic, he is so jaded Basically playing, playing God, playing a representative from the Ship of Lights. Aliens, yep. Whatever this, this third race is. Yep. Yep. Overall, the, the finale. Uh, I thought Daybreak Part 1 was very slow build too serious we've seen this adama get up and give his grand angry speech and which side yeah. of the line are you going to stand on yeah so we've seen that so many times um i thought there was not enough going on in part one part two is fantastic that's all the attack on the cylon colony all the visual effects uh which in in the copy of the episode that i saw that you pointed me to was 720p was high def yes. on my hdtv Man, that stuff looks so fantastic. I loved the Colonials and the skin jobs and the uh, uh, Centurions fighting alongside one another and Lee mm -hmm. giving the Centurion signals. That was mm -hmm. gold. One of the coolest things in that episode for me was the new style Centurion just beating and shooting the crap out of the old style Centurion. Uh, old style. That's right. That was That's hilarious. Right. Having Sam as a hybrid was a lot of fun. And I knew that Earth's sun would have something to do with this episode, and of course the ships all go sailing into the sun, mm -hmm. you know, because Lee decides that, nope, we're giving up our technology. That's it. Well, presumably everybody else uh, bought into his theory about this is the way to break the cycle and, and agreed to it. It seems a bit far-fetched, though, that you could get 39,000 people to agree to that. Lampkin comments on that, you know, I'm surprised that we didn't see an uprising. And then Adama quickly says, we'll never underestimate the human desire for a fresh start or something. So. Yeah, never underestimate the fact that this is the last episode and we don't have another episode to tell the uprising story. That's right. Part three, the return to Earth and all the little scenes to kind of tie off everybody's characters. It was like, it was like uh, Lord of the Rings, the ending mm -hmm. after an ending after an ending. And is this going to mm -hmm. be the last scene? And there's another one. Mm -hmm. um, most of that I, I found to be very choppy and unsatisfying. Adama going off on his own, you know. I think like like the, in the review that you sent me, we've we've spent all this time together, and now we're gonna go our separate ways. What? But other than that, yeah. So know. we're we're supposed to believe that Admiral Adama just lived out the rest of his life building his cabin and living in isolation instead of living with his son. Yeah, I'm glad they killed Rosalind. Not because I didn't like her. I think she was a fantastic character. No, but well, we as the dying leader, coming. yeah, I think they needed to do that. Otherwise, it would have been a cheat. And it was a good scene. Yeah. It was not everything that I expected, but it was almost, and it was really good. I, I had I had football player sized men in my living room who were bawling their eyes out when yeah. Mary McDonald died. <laughs> I wasn't. I, I was expecting to, but I wasn't. I think the thing that leaves me most unsatisfied about the series finale of Battlestar is I felt utterly unmoved, and it's not because I I saw it all coming. I saw Rosalind's death coming, and and all these things and getting to earth and settling down and getting well let's put ships. it out there you've said that you've said that you felt that the show has become too self-important yeah i think that since resurrection ship and the Pe the pegasus episodes in the middle of season two i think it's started to go downhill and it really got a shot in the arm with exodus and everything that's going on at the beginning of season three i loved once you get past about the middle of season three i think it just started to become more and more pretentious and self-important as a producer once said to us love the show now get over yourself yeah i mean it's a good show uh now get over yourself and it yeah. seems like the like the producers of the show didn't quite get over themselves and, and how wonderful god's gift to science fiction the show was i don't think the show is god's gift to science fiction i think it's a good show but yeah. you know yeah. a little perspective um, so yeah, I, I found myself emotionally in, in the last hour utterly unmoved. I was just watching it as a completely detached observer. Uh, the middle hour, part two, the action hour, I think is some of the best stuff the show's ever done. 
Earth and which Earth is it? You know, you're, you're trying to think about what's going on. You know, is this the new Earth? No, wait a second. The star constellations were aligned at the other one. And instead of enjoying the scene, I'm trying to put the pieces together in the right order. Okay, what have I missed? Mm-hmm. You know, and Ron Moore said, that was Earth. Are we back to the old Earth now? Do we have to clean it up? What? I, I don't get it, you know? And then it slowly dawns on me that you didn't see the continents for the other Earth, so maybe that one yeah. wasn't the Earth. The, the Earth the stars was, were right for that Earth. and That was ah. nuked into oblivion was not actually our Earth. You could see Orion at the other Earth. You can't see Orion at... Well, I mean... Ah, it's just... You, you can't deal with it. You can't worry about it. Well, what do you think of this... About this big ending? 150,000 years in the future, and there's... The aliens, Head Baltar and Head Six, are still there, and apparently Hera is mitochondrial Eve. Eve. Mitochondrial Eve, the earliest, the earliest uh, common ancestor of all humans on Earth. I, I was expecting a tie-in to our Earth. I was expecting that we'd figure out when things were with that episode, and boy, we got it. You know, it doesn't like that name. That comment kind of <laughs> threw everyone off a little bit. You know, I think it's interesting. That ending is weird. I expected Ron Moore to do something that was kind of jaw-dropping, kind of like Sopranos, something that mm-hmm. is going to be talked about the next morning. And this mm-hmm. was kind of it, kind of. Um, you know, tying it to Mitochondrial Eve, which was just this kind of interesting scientific news story, you know, Discovery Channel special news story a few years ago, uh, I thought was kind of lame. I wanted Hera to be more significant than that. I like the fact that it tied into our Earth. The close-ups on the robots, mm-hmm. the screen with the robot and the, the human-looking robot the new, woman. The, the next number six is Ron Moore. Yeah, that's, that's been developed by Japan, and this is all real-world contemporary 2009 stuff. That was That was a bit on the nose for me. You know, we use science fiction to point out our, our faults and foibles in real life, and that was that was too on the nose, I think. Well, I think Bal- the, uh, Head Balter says it right. The question remains, does it have to happen again? And that's, that is the question of yeah. the show. That is the question is of the man- show. And if you give that line and then show our real-world robots that we're developing now, it's too on the nose. It's It's beating you over the head with it, I think, with the question of can we... Can we not suffer the same fate? It's a good show. For most people, Battlestar is in their top two or three of all science fiction shows. And for me, it's in my top ten, but probably not much more than that. It's in my top three. 